0: If you sit on this side, it creates a balance. <laughs> hey. OK, the back Never mind, never mind, never mind. Just sit down and learn, it's fine. We're late. We gotta rock and roll. Okay, good evening. Welcome, welcome. And uh, tonight we are going to learn some really fascinating stuff. I think this may be some of the most important things you learn in a long time. That's what I'm thinking. You can ask me why. Why? Oh, why? (laughs) because this is extremely practical. Extremely, extremely practical. It's practical because you and I, all of us, were created by Hashem for a mission and a purpose. And we've been learning about Betachem, trust in Hashem. And we also know that there are 613 mitzvahs, a lot of things Hashem expects from us. We haven't really touched on the interplay between Betochen and mitzvahs. Why? Well, because everything we've said up till now has been about, for example, the last segment of episodes. We talked about a person's well-being. Do you really control what's going to happen in your life? Have we never heard of a person who was in perfect shape? He ate well and he slept well. He exercised well, took care of himself, and what they call a fluke, he didn't live. And another person didn't eat well and didn't sleep well and didn't take care of himself. And he painted the town red all night. And he, he lived. there any guarantees? There really are no guarantees. Does that mean that we should live bohemian lifestyles and hope for the best? No, that's a very silly thing to do. We have to do our part, because the Torah ordains it to be so. But are we responsible for having the privilege of a long or chas v'shalom, not as long a life? Of course not. It's in Hashem's hands. We learned about things like prosperity, income. A person will say, I'm so smart. I'm so diligent. I'm so focused. I'm so strategic. That's why I'm so rich. And then suddenly he's not so rich. And you say, well, what happened? You were so smart, so strategic. He said, well, it was the markets. It wasn't me. It was my neighbor. It was a news nobody could have predicted. Who knew a war was going to break out overseas? I made all the right investments. I did everything by the textbook. And I even followed my gut. I diversified. And I was careful. And I was bullish and bearish. It didn't work out. And then you have another guy seems to have lots of mazel. He did all the wrong moves and somehow he succeeds. So does that mean you should do all the wrong moves and say, "Hey, eh, if the Abishter wants me to succeed, I'll succeed anyway. Of course not. That's a very bad way to do things. Why? Because Torah says it's bad. You're forcing the hand of God to make miracles. You're purposely doing foolish things. You're, you're, you're making sure that in case you succeed, everybody should say, look at that, a miracle. Hashem doesn't want that. Hashem wants us to make the effort. And He wants us to create the smoke screen, the camouflage. That's like that's our part of the deal. And to remember at all times that despite or in spite of the best of our efforts, ultimately it's be ha baruch. And the same thing is also true we learned with regard to relationships. In the most recent segment, we talked about dealing with contention and detractors dealing with adversaries and confrontations and even enemies once again Rabbeinu Bechaya strikes the same chord he says it's in Hashem's hands nobody can harm you if Hashem didn't want it to happen and if it happened you must know it's from Hashem that person made a choice that's their problem but that doesn't influence or change your reality and in many ways in many ways, this sums up the entire thrust of the Shara B'Tochen as we learned it. However, we are about to shift into a whole new dimension, and that's the dimension of endeavor, which is called mitzvahs. When it comes to mitzvahs, if Hashem did the mitzvah, then we didn't achieve anything. If Hashem prevented us from doing the mitzvah we actually aren't culpable. It wasn't our bad choice. This is what they call the facts of the matter. So when it comes to mitzvahs, what role does betachin play? And that is precisely what we are going to begin to study now. This is like a new mini-series almost. Because Rabina Bechayi uses very strange verbiage and syntax at least it seems that way on the surface. This is classic. When you start to read it, he seems to be going in circles and he seems to be using a diction that's less than direct. Which just means we have to figure out what he's trying to say. And when you figure it out, it's gonna be like a wow. I mean, it was a wow for me. I got like a dopamine high from, from figuring this out. This is the best dopamine high you can get, right? And you try to figure something out. And, you, and then, aha, that's what the great Rabbina B'chaya means. So with that little preface, and I'm going to make one more little preface, if I may. So when I advertised this episode, I called it performance versus trust. So where did I get that line from? Why did I, why did I? You know, uh, one, one of the things I do in trying to promote the study of Torah is to frame it in terms of popular culture. So the titles that I use are not my titles. You know, they're, they're taken from popular culture. And, and so I, I stumble across stuff. I know the content. I know the ideas. I'm looking for the crisp words, the right you know, sentence, something with a zinger. And I was talking about googling trust and performance. And I came up with this thing called performance and trust. And before we actually begin the study inside, I want to share it. This is the last little preface for tonight that I think it will be interesting for you. So there's this um, fellow named Simon Sinek. He's become very famous. He gives uh, courses on leadership. He speaks all over the world and has millions of views and he's uh, written books with millions of copies sold. And he's very popular. Okay, so I, I, I stumble onto a Simon Sinek little video and apparently he's done this video a whole bunch of different times. And this is the gist of it. He says that he went to the Navy Seals, which he calls uh, the most effective team uh, in the world. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's that's what he claims. And he said he asked them how do they choose their leadership, because he's into leadership. So he's going to go to the creme de la creme, the Navy Seals. How do you choose leadership? So they said that when we look for leadership, there's two things that we're looking for. We tend to look for high performance, and high trust. So in a perfect world, you want the person who is a high performer, existentially, extremely capable, and you want somebody who the people trust. The men or women under his command put their full trust in him. They know that he cares about them. He's got their back. (laughs) And then he jokes and he says that there's different kinds of trust. There's trust on a professional level and then there's personal trust. And they might not necessarily translate into the same language. He says, like, you could trust somebody with your life but not with your money or your wife. Okay, fine. That's an interesting way to put it. So ideally, high performance, high trust. What happens, however, if you have to make a choice between the highest performer with a low level of trust or a high level of trust with a less than stellar performance. Who do he choose? Trust. The Navy SEALs always choose trust. And Simon Sinek claims that in the business world, we have no metrics to measure trust, and we have endless metrics to measure performance. And he says that this is a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. And it's very logical. And I said, wow, this makes a lot of sense. So I start to think. I wonder how that translates into avodat Hashem. Is it most important to have betochen even if you don't do any mitzvahs? (laughs) Or is it more important to do mitzvahs even if you don't have as much betochen? Because we're created in God's image. I would say it's uh, having betochen. You would say it's having betochen. So let me ask you a simple question. You ask a, a Shiloh, a halacha question from your Rav. Mm-hmm. Should I work on having more trust in Hashem now? Or should I put on tefillin, give tzedakah, avoid non-kosher food? What do you think your Rav is going to tell you? To do all the mitzvahs. To do the mitzvahs, right? All because right. our sages tell us that ha hu Haiker. That for us, Torah Jews... Our belief is that the deed is our creed. It's all about the deed. Hamayse hu The action is primary. It doesn't mean trust is small. At the same time, the great Rabbeinu Bahaya Ibn Bekuda was the first one to address a whole range of issues like trust. And that was only a thousand years ago. And up until then, there had been much written about halacha, but almost nothing written about Chavis Halavavis, which is the name of his book, The Duties of the Heart, especially trust. So if it was so important, why weren't they talking about it all along? Rabbeinu B'chaya himself questions. He questions his decision to write this book. He says, maybe this wasn't a good idea. If people far greater than me didn't do this, maybe I shouldn't be doing it. We talked about this in the beginning of the series. Rebbeinah Mechaia comes to the conclusion that it must be written. And he almost apologizes for writing this foundational, almost unparalleled book. Almost apologizes for it. He says, I I shouldn't have written this, but. So in halacha, I'm not so sure you're right. In fact, I'm quite sure that you're not right. We should all work on Betachen. Don't get me wrong. I've been working on my Betachen along with you for a long time now. This is our 105th episode. We put a lot of hours into this. And i got to keep working on it. Because I found that if you don't keep working on betachin, <laughs> it starts to evaporate. you got to keep working on it. You never achieve mastery over it. Because the Yetzirah doesn't go to sleep for a day. point, however, is that mitzvahs maiseis are most important. And interestingly, having Betochim is not even, at least not in the traditional sense, a mitzvah. That was something we dealt about at length in the beginning of this series. What mitzvah, or how many mitzvot might it be related to? Really interesting. So, how does that work out? He's done a lot of thinking about this. So I don't think a person can say, the main thing is I trust in God, but I'm not gonna listen to what he says. I trust in him. That would be like somebody saying to his wife, honey, I I love you. I know that you'll always be there for me, but please don't ask me to be there for you. I I can't do anything for you, okay? I'm not gonna give you any money to live on, and I can't take out the garbage. And, 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 And I can't ever go shopping. I'm not doing anything, I'm not doing anything. But, you know, if you want to do nice things for me, I trust that you'll take care of me. But I'll do nothing for you. I would think that's a recipe for failure. I can't see a marriage like that lasting. I don't think it should last. That's a very bad situation. The husband's duty is to take care of his wife. We're in a relationship with God. How about a wife who says, oh, my husband, he's fantastic. I know he's always there for me. He'll take care of me, he'll give me a roof over my head, he'll give me a credit card with unlimited spending. He's always there for me, but I don't do anything for him. He loves me, right? Well, if he loves me, let him love me. What am I? What am I? The the, the cook? The cleaning lady? I don't do things like that. I'm not interested in that. I'm I'm this is about me, and he loves me, so it's about me. So what are you doing for me? I trust Hashem. I love Hashem. God loves me. I trust in Him. I know He'll take care of me. <laughs> and God says, I i gave you a whole life and I gave you a job to do. You were partners. You have to make this world a godly place. And you say, God, it's okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, you know I know you love me. That's that's good enough. I'm not so sure that works. Eh? I don't think so either. Teach someone to do a even if they're mechanical even at youngster, whether it's young in age or young in experience, and hopefully with time, the trust oh, develops. you're absolutely right. We can teach somebody to do mitzvahs even if they don't have a shred of trust or even they don't profess to have any faith in Hashem. And, and, and the habituation of performing mitzvahs inasmuch as habitual mitzvahs are lackluster nourishes and nurtures and leads a person to greater faith. It's not going to give you a by itself, but it helps you. puts you in that position. Let's just say, in our relationship with God, it's the relationship builder. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the privilege of our relationship, is in the mitzvahs God allows us to do. Because God doesn't need anything. So why does he need our mitzvahs? Well, he, he says he needs our mitzvahs because he loves us. So he made us, he made us important by virtue of the mitzvahs. So how does that work performance versus trust, right? What's the the key here? So actually the key is performance. It is performance. And I think that a, a primary reason why this is the case is because when you're in the Navy SEALs and you're choosing a leader for one of your teams and there's a person who really cares really cares about his or her soldiers. They really care. And they really, really are concerned with them, not with themselves. The real leader is not thinking about himself all the time. The real leader doesn't think about his or herself at all. The true leader only thinks about others. There aren't many true leaders out there. Real leaders only think about the welfare of others. Real leaders never try to shine. They try to make everybody else realize their potential and shine. That's what real leaders are about. Now, if you have a person who's a real leader, means he really cares. or She's really devoted and will do everything they can. So you say, well, they're not, they're not so capable. Well, this is because Hashem made a world in which there are haves and have-nots on every level. And some person might have a higher IQ and some person has a lower IQ. But when I'm on the battlefield, I think I would want to have a person who cares about me more quickly than I want to have a person who has a higher IQ. So there's different levels of potential or ability to perform when it comes to the world we live in, worldly matters. In worldly matters, for the most part, you don't get medals for effort. You get medals for achievement. The last generation has made a religion of giving out medals for nothing and rewarding mediocrity and underachievement. And the result is a generation of entitled fat cats who think that you're supposed to get rewarded for doing nothing and don't know the meaning of true accomplishment and achievement. It's a big problem. It's not the next generation's problem. It's the twisted parenting that has handed them this... Impossible situation now. So when it comes to worldly matters, the bottom line, that's the metrics. When it comes to serving Hashem, the bottom line or the metrics that are used are not how much you achieved insofar as others are concerned. There's only one metric that's used how much you achieved in comparison with your potential. So the person who can study a thousand pages of Talmud and master them and understand them beautifully, but he's lazy and he only studies 900 pages, he has failed at his mission. But the person who can only study 10 pages of Talmud and he studied 10 and a quarter, he's a a stellar runaway success. And the Rebbeinu Shaleelum, Almighty God, gives all of us exactly what we need to do our mission. Now, one ounce more, not one ounce less. And actually, there isn't any extra wherewithal. We don't have extra koyach Because the koyach you have is the koyach you need. And that's what's expected of you. So what do we need to focus on? Performance. And performance is based on the choices we make. Trust in Hashem, it's, it's very important. How does that actually intersect with something like the performance of mitzvahs? That's the big question. It's a big question. So let's take a look inside. If you're following along in the Kihat edition, you'll find this on page 163. Unfortunately, most of the versions that translate the or elucidate the Chavis HaLavavis to my disappointment don't emphasize what a remarkable shift we're about to enter into, how we're going into a whole new arena. We've never been here before. 104 episodes in, we've never been here before. (laughs) This is new. There's new scenery, new terrain. We have a whole new system that has to be developed. And this is what Rebbeinu B'chaya, as he lists everything so carefully and so methodically, this was what he called chela karavi. This was category four. Category four was, and now he says, Category four itself is going to be subdivided because we have to make sure we get every detail right. Every detail right. So we have to break it down into the details. There's no what you would call glossing over issues here. In Chayvis and Neshara B'Tachin, every detail is identified and dealt with. So he's going to be speaking about bi'inyonei choyvas halavaves He's going to be talking about the, the category that consists of our duties of heart and limb. Duties of heart and limb. Now, <laughs> my first question when I started learning this is, what do you mean duties of heart and limb this is comprised as matters of things com- pertaining to the duties of the heart and the limbs of a person i mean those are two different things usually when we talk about Klevis levavas in Rabbeinu bagai's own language we're talking about things like ahavatashem our love for hashem Hashem, our sense of awe and reverence and respect for hashem that's a feeling that has nothing to do with limbs emuna Belief in Hashem. It's a mitzvah. Yediyah. Knowledge of Hashem. Unless you call the brain a limb. It's not a limb mitzvah. Consciousness is not a limb mitzvah. I'm like, I don't understand what he's saying. He says, <laughs> Now again, we're using Rabbeinu Ibn Tibbins' translation. But I don't think that he would just like insert things. <laughs> What does that mean? The duties of the heart and the limbs. And in fact, Rabbeinu B'chayi is going to delineate. He's going to list a number of mitzvahs. And he doesn't list anything like Chovat HaLavavot. He doesn't list faith or fervor or fear. doesn't list those things. He says, we're talking about, firstly, duties of the heart and limb which sounds like he's conflating them. Separate or together? You would think that they're separate kinds of mitzvahs. Yeah. There's a difference between a mitzvah that has to be carried out by limb, which could be carried out by rote, and a mitzvah that has to be carried out by consciousness or emotion. You can't love Hashem by rote. <laughs> you, can't, you, can't, you can't revere Hashem by rote. Either you care or you don't care. And that's, that's a feeling. There's a sense of reverence or awe. Oh, do you have it or not? And if you don't, you got to work on it. How? Great question. Wrong class. And then he says, we're going to get more specific. We're not just talking about the mitzvahs of heart heart and limb, which already, I don't know what that is. But he says, we're talking about that a person is, so to speak, unique. He He is specific. He is the recipient of the gain or pain. He is the only recipient of the gainer pain. Nobody else is a recipient of the gainer pain of this mitzvah was fulfilled or not fulfilled. He's differentiating between mitzvahs that other people do benefit from. What's the most obvious example? A mitzvah of tzedakah. So I decided to be cold hearted and tight fisted. And a person came and poured their Heart out before me and said, I'm desperate and you can help. And I said, eh, go find a job. I'm not interested. I didn't do the mitzvah. Who lost? Well, I lost because I didn't do the mitzvah. Yeah. Well, who was harmed by me not doing the mitzvah? The person who needed the money. They went hungry. So you can't say, well, it's my mitzvah and it has nothing to do with anybody else. But there are mitzvahs that it does have to do with other people. You know, it's my mitzvah to study Torah. It's my mitzvah. Like it's your mitzvah. We all have a mitzvah to study Torah. But if I'm preparing a class and I'm I'm a derelict and I I don't work as hard as I can or should, who loses? Unfortunately, you. So you can't say that my failure as an educator doesn't influence somebody else. Rabbi Bahaya actually is going to speak about this later. He's going to go to the fifth category. The fifth category is all part of this segment. It's all, it's all part of this segment on mitzvahs. But he says it's a different kind of mitzvah because that's a mitzvah where somebody else is also harmed or helped in the exchange. So we have duty of heart and limb. Sounds like some kind of a shampoo. Heart and limb is something. I don't know what I'm gonna... We have these heart and limb things. We don't know what that is. And then it has to be, only you stand to gain. Only you will inflict or be the recipient of the pain. Only you. It's just you. And he goes through a list. He says, this is for example, katzom. What is tzom? Tzom is fasting. Fasting is what we do in Yom Kippur. So say a person, unfortunately, made a bad decision, the wrong decision for a yid, and he had dinner on Yom Kippur. He says, ah, leave me alone. Who did he harm? I mean, he's himself. He's himself. And, and if he fasted, who did he harm? Who did he, who, who did he help? Himself. Katfila, the mitzvah of prayer. It's interesting here that Rabbeinu Bahaya includes the mitzvah of prayer. There's a famous dispute between Rambam and Ramban, the Maimonides and Nachmanides, whether the mitzvah of prayer is actually a biblical mitzvah. I would, I would suspect that Rabbeinu Bahaya, although he precedes the Rambam, follows that school of thought. And as the defenders of the Rambam point out, despite the very, very vigorous arguments that are mounted by Ramban, that indeed it is true that the times of prayer or the copious amount of prayer that a Jew is supposed to engage in, whether thrice daily or four times daily or five times daily, that is rabbinic. And the specifics of prayer are a rabbinic mitzvah. However, the concept of daily prayer is actually biblical. Now, Nachmanides argues that's only when you have a need. And the defenders of the Rambam says, did you ever see somebody without a need? Everybody has needs. Maybe you'll argue that it's no proof that Rabbeinu Bechaya held this way and the mitzvah of tefillah would be as Ranban frames it, biblically to pray when you have a need. Okay, maybe. I, I don't know. It's not really relevant. At any rate, there could be a biblical mitzvah of tefillah, either daily or by need. So if you didn't pray on any particular day or didn't pray on ask Hashem for your needs when you had them, who lost in the exchange? If you did pray, who gained? You. And then there's the sukkah, dwelling in the temporary habitation, the booth. There's the lulav, the taking of the lulav and esrach. There's the tzitzit, the wearing of tassels on a four cornered garment. You're not hurting anybody, you're not helping anybody but yourself. And then there's Shmirat HaShabbat, observance of Shabbat, and Hamoadim of the festivals. And then he adds, those are all positive mitzvahs. Vihimona min aveirot, and avoiding or restraining oneself from transgression. Doing things Hashem said don't. And then he says, V'chol Chovot halavot ashalo and all the other duties of the heart which are not transferred onto anybody else. So I'm like confused. I don't understand what he's saying. First of all, he mentions duties of the heart and only then does he mention limbs. So if he's going to list mitzvahs, he should delineate duties of the heart like, like belief, love, or reverence, etc. And then go on to list the limbs. He says heart and limb Goes on to list a whole bunch of mitzvahs, and then he says, "And all of the chovat halavavot ashalot Varna." So, this was this is like confusing for me. The good news is that the mefarshim explained this in a beautiful way, and um, I'm going to bezrat Hashem now. Go ahead now and, and try to, to explain. I want to begin. The first commentary that I want to share with you. I want to share with you the words that were penned by the Neh Bar Kodesh. Rabbeinu Moshe ben Reuven, who was the Rav in a place called Harburg, I believe. Which is not far from Hamburg in Germany. He seems to be a very, very deep, mystical and spiritual sage. And he wrote this commentary, which is only printed once. Only once in 1790s, only time it was ever printed. Never printed again until recent times. So I want to share his words with you. He says, to clarify this segment, what he calls (laughs) Chelik Horevi Vachamishi. He says, to clarify this, I have to explain to you. (laughs) When it comes to our engagement in worldly, Technical matters. I'm going to have to trust in Hashem that I make the right choices. How do I know I chose the right flight? How was I supposed to know I chose the flight that was going to be delayed? Stupid me. No, not stupid me. I, I looked at the flight. And I said, mm, I want to be able to daven in the morning. I want to be able to get in at a normal time. This flight seems like the best flight for me. Guess what? My friend said, ah, Davin, Shmavin, time. That's I'm gonna choose the cheapest flight. And maybe he did better. His flight took off on time and landed early, and you were delayed six hours sat in the tarmac, and then they kept you on the tarmac. It didn't work out. You say, Stupid me. I should have done what the other guy did. That's silly. That's silly. You do your part based on what you know, and the rest is in Hashem's hands. So how does a yid live with anxiety? Did I take the right flight? Did I choose the right stock? Did I choose the right professional to deliver the services? In Hashem's hands. I did my research. I did based on what I know to be accepted practice. What the experts say, does that mean I'm going to succeed? Of course not. That's in Hashem's. That's in Akadosh Baruch's hands. So you just rely on Hashem. And I rely on Hashem. I ask, give me the wisdom to choose right that I, should, I shouldn't miss what other people missed. I should notice it. Ah, I noticed that little thing over there. Aha, uh-huh, I'm not going to go that direction because I noticed that. Or you just give thanks because you are... You give thanks. You give thanks yes. after you succeed. Say, thank you to B'erishalom. I'm so glad. I appreciate everything worked out right. Can't take it for granted. Mm-hmm. But even in the choice I make, I have the right to rely on Hashem. Mm-hmm. I did my best, and then Hashem gave me what a fool, what kind of fool says, I'm so smart, that's why I made the right choice. Except when I didn't, that wasn't my fault. I was just unlucky. Or a person says, well, I'm really lucky. You're neither lucky nor smart. You're blessed. Hashem gave you a gift. So I could ask, the B'nai give me the wisdom to choose right. There's nothing wrong with that. The B'nai guide me, help me. that God should give me the wisdom God don't give me that blind spot and we've all been there enable me to seek with clarity whatever it is whatever I'm going to do it should be beneficial and he says it's self understood if you start to do a business it seemed like the right business. It seems to do the right thing. And all of a sudden, it's not working out. It doesn't seem to be the best business. What's the smart thing to do? I did my part. Parnos says in Hashem's head. Stay through to the end. Unless the professional says, It's a good idea to get out. Because in the end, it's in the Bain Shalom's hands anyway. Everything's in God's hands. A thousand people can lose on the market, and one guy comes out a winner luck. Right. Another four-letter name for God. So therefore, you have to do, and the Rebbe gave us specific instructions of how we should engage in, in everything from, from commerce to, to negotiation. He told us how to do this. And it's in Hashem's sense. And God will make it finish right. <speaking in Hebrew> but when we're talking about God's mitzvahs, if I say to "Help me choose," I don't know what to do. Here's kosher food and not kosher. God put it in my head. Come on, just make me choose the kosher food. That's ridiculous. You know what's right. Do what's right. <laughs> choose the right thing. What do you want from God now? That's He put that in your hands. Hashem should give you the ability. To know and choose what's right so that you do it habitually or, 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 or effortlessly or like reflexively. That's, a, that's, that misses the whole point. That's the one place where our choice makes all the difference. That's the one place. You chose to do a mitzvah, or you didn't choose to do a mitzvah. It doesn't sound like trust should have anything to do with performance of mitzvahs. It's all about the choice. It it has to have everything to do with it, but the question is then how? This is like a non-starter. The choice is mine. Now let me trust in God. What are you trusting in God for? Make the right choice. Do what has to be done. He says, if, a person, if a person begins, he chooses to do what's right, so then he has to feel a sense of calm, no anxiety, knowing that he's doing the mitzvah. Ah, It looks like he's going to be paying a big price for this mitzvah, and he might suffer for this mitzvah. You ask Hashem to help you, that it shouldn't work out the way it looks like it's going to work out. You do the mitzvah. It should end well. And by the way, we've already learned earlier that even when a person succeeds at a mitzvah, he or she doesn't get uh, rewarded for the success of the mitzvah, rather for the choice. You chose to do the mitzvah. The rest is a gift from Hashem. A person can choose to do a mitzvah and unfortunately fail. A person can, can, can make the right choice. And then it's a gift. You have to pray you actually did the right thing. So where does Betochen come in here? I want to share with you the words of the Rambam. Because the, the truth is that this is... It, Reina B'chaia doesn't really deal with this. You know, I was thinking, tonight's class could, could have been all about Bechir HaKafshis, all about freedom of choice. And there's literally an ocean, if not a great lake of material, on the subject. But I want to learn this book. I don't want to learn 50 books. So when I, when I look into other books, it's only to help us learn this book. I'm trying to learn this. The Rambam in Hilchus Tshuva, he says, the beginning of the fifth chapter, and I'm quoting, Rushut kal adam nituna, nitunalo. Permission is given to everyone. Should he want to turn himself in a positive direction and be righteous, that's up to you. Permission has been given. It's in your hand. You have that freedom. If he wants to turn himself to a bad path, Leo to to be wicked and evil, or should be Adam? The Rambam says this is the meaning of what God says in the Torah that the Odom will now that he's eaten of the tree of knowledge will be ka'achad he'll be like one of us, ladat tovorat to know good and bad. In other words, that this Odom who is alone in the world, and there is no other creature like him. Who may atzmo? He alone, on his own, Vidato Uve uvemachashavto, in his mind, in his thoughts, yodea Hatova v'harah. He knows what is good and what is bad, and he has to do or can do kol mashu chafes whatever he wants. Ain lo mishi akav milaso tatov oharah. Nobody is going to stop you. We don't believe in komanism. We don't believe in forcing people. We believe in the freedom to choose. We hope that people make the right choice. We encourage them to make the right choice, can't force them. The Raman goes on to say, do not think as the fools, what he calls tipshei ha'umot, the fools of the nations, and most, what he calls uh, unsophisticated people. Gol mei adam. Like, like a golem is like raw material. Raw people, unsophisticated people, undiscerning people. That God decrees somebody should be righteous or somebody should be wicked. It's not true. You decide to be righteous or wicked. In the devil, A person could be as righteous as Moshe You could be like Moshe That's ridiculous. Moshe Rabbeinu is the greatest of people. It means you could serve Hashem wholeheartedly. Obviously, you're not going to be like Moshe he had unique abilities. But you can serve Hashem as wholeheartedly as Meishe Rabbeinu did. Or you could be like your Rosh Hashem, one of the most wicked people of all time. God doesn't decree these things. You have to make a choice. And again, I, I, could, have, I could have created, I could have brought sources, like oh, I, could, I could be peering over the books <laughs> on, the, on the subject matter. But like, just here's something from this week's Parsha. Something, a snippet, like, you know, the Lekut the, the, HaSichas, the Rebbe's edited talks, every word here was weighed by the Rebbe. So the Rebbe says, it's just a snippet of Lekut HaSichas in this week's Parsha, in, in the 20th volume of Lekut the second Sicha on Toldot. The Rebbe says, Chazal Zagin, our sages tell us, and this, of course, is a quote from the Gemara Mesechat Nida, on page 30, side B, it's a very famous Gemara. That an infant... When he's in his mother's womb, is taught the entire Torah. Once he going to emerge out into the atmosphere, where his lungs kick in, and instead of living in water, where he's living for the last nine months, now he's going to take his first breath. That's the big change for the baby. The big change is air. There's no air before. He's a fish before. He emerges into the air. of these babies don't know how to draw breath. They get a spanking, right? You got to take that breath, and then Baruch Hashem. You're off to the races. It says, An angel comes and taps him on the mouth. He forgets the whole Torah he learned. Everything he learned he forgets. The Rebbe says an amazing thing here in a parenthesis. We could say the primary, the main reason. kol Kula. If a baby wouldn't come out and forget the whole Torah, he doesn't have the ability to choose freely. He knows the whole Torah. Mm-hmm. That defeats the purpose of life. The purpose of life is about the choices. He can't be born knowing the whole Torah. God says, I need to place before you life and goodness. Death and evil. But even in a way that's equal, it's equal. This is the essence of life. Or as the Rebbe wrote to somebody in a letter. This letter is dated the fourteenth of Marcheshvan, Tovshin to If you want to look it up, it's in the twelfth volume of Vigorous Kurdish. So the Rebbe's talking about uh, people doing something that he had asked that they review a citizen in public. He says, "Hine netinata the giving of the Torah, the giving of the Torah itself is on condition. <laughs> that the vast overwhelming majority of what a person will do in life, he has to obey his choice. Not being coerced by choice. Mm-hmm. As it says, <laughs> we're talking about mitzvahs, of course. Somebody says, if the Rebbe wants such and such, let the Rebbe tell him what to do. And the Rebbe says, if I tell him what to do, it's not his choice. It's got to be his choice. So <laughs> it doesn't work if I tell him what to do. So the point here is, it's got to be your choice. Well, if it's got to be my choice, how does trust come into this? And that's exactly what the Ned of says. He's highlighting and emphasizing how we've gone into a new place now. We've never been here before. We've never contemplated how we balance betochen, our trust in Hashem with our responsibility to Hashem. To perform mitzvahs. So, how does this work? So, the Nedimakredish says, Have patience. <laughs> ben Bachayah is going to explain this. First, we have to know what the problem is. Then we can get the answer. Then we can understand where this is going. Okay, so that's the opening. That's a commentary on the opening part. <inaudible> that the person himself is the recipient of the pain of the game person himself, not influencing anybody else. All right. Says the Ned of HaToelet mehem miyuchad If there'll be a benefit from the mitzvah, you are the beneficiary. If there'll be a loss, you're a loss. Not something you cause for somebody else. You know, there's there's this idea that a king, a king's heart is not his own. His, his heart is the heart of the nation. So there's certain mitzvahs that, that govern the king. And part of the mitzvahs that govern the king is because power corrupts. And of course, absolute power can corrupt, as a wise Englishman said, absolutely. I think John Locke said that. So the king has to write like an extra Torah scroll, for example. <laughs> He has to carry the Torah's go with him at all times. But then the king has, for example, a limit on his polygamous activities. Now, it should be understood the Torah does not encourage polygamy ever. Yitzchak was perfect. So he said, no, no, no. polygamy is not going to work for him. He's perfect. Avram Avinu doesn't have the perfection of Yitzchak. He's not an Ola Tamima. He's not, he's not, not perfect. Yitzchak's perfect. Yaakov had no intention. His father didn't say, Hey, go to uh, Ramna Rayim and choose yourself a couple of wives. He said, Take a wife. Why did Yaakov take multiple wives? So he, that was circumstantial. When you deal with a guy's loving, you'd be surprised what happens to you. So he ended up with more wives than he was planning to have. But that wasn't because it was the right thing to do. The Torah does not encourage polygamy, the Torah permits polygamy. So if you have some a billionaire who's crazed by his power and money, and he wants to have multiple wives, the Torah does not stand in his way. It's not encouraged, so it doesn't stand in his way. But the king has a limit. Why? So that his heart not be turned astray. The question comes. If, If this turns a person's heart astray, then the Torah should prohibit it. Why does the Torah only prohibit the king from turning astray? but well, everybody else can turn astray. Ah, you're, you're not a king. You, could, you, can do old, you can mess yourself up. A king, he's got to be good. The Rambam explains this. He says, because levava is ha'om. His heart is the heart of the nation. He makes a bad choice. He affects the whole nation. So he has a different situation. In one of his meetings with the chief rabbi of Israel, Rav Mordech Elio, the Rebbe, the Rebbe said to Rav Elio, you know, the, the business of the king's choice has to be understood, because if the king's choice affects everybody else, is it really his choice? Like, how does that work out with the concept of Bechira? Certainly on one level of Bechira, Bechira is your choice. So this wouldn't apply for a king, nothing that the Rebbeinu said. If you're, if you're a king and you're watching this, you stop watching right now, this is not for you. <laughs> but if you're like the rest of us, so there are some mitzvahs that don't affect everybody else. I said, what do you mean, mitzvahs don't affect everybody else? You know that uh, when the Jewish people perform mitzvot, it, it's, it, there's a benefit for everybody. And when God forbid, when a Jew does a bad thing, there's a, a demerit for everybody. I believe it was the Dubna Magid who pioneered or innovated this, this uh, metaphor of, of, of how everybody's mitzvahs affect everybody, with the parable of a fellow who sat down on a ferry. And as soon as they began to move across the the, the, the lake, he took out a drill and began to drill a hole in his seat, underneath his seat. And the people were alarmed. They said, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's drilling a hole in the boat. And the man said, this is my seat. I paid for it. You really shouldn't be telling me what to do. And he continued his drilling activity. He said, no, no, stop, stop. He said, why? It's my seat. I didn't make a hole under your seat. And the analog is obvious. So what, do you, what does Ben Baha'i mean when he says that your mitzvah affects nobody else? Don't we believe that everybody's mitzvah affects everybody? Yes, on, on some mystical level, there is this totality of the Jewish people and everybody's mitzvah affects everybody. And, and Rambam says one mitzvah can weigh the scales. and That's all true. It's all true. But on a pragmatic, at least visible level, if I didn't give tzedakah, it's not just me who lost, it's the poor guy who was hungry. But if I chose not to daven, so who lost? On an overt level, I lost. Chas I didn't fast in Yom Kippur. It was my loss. So that's on a literal level. Which brings us to the question, like why does Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar have to even illustrate this? Is it not self-understood? What the meaning of a... And he goes through, like a, he chooses a bunch of mitzvahs. Tzom ucha He goes from Yom Kippur. He goes to prayer. Then he goes back to Tishrei and gives us the sukkah and the luluf. Then he goes to tzitzit. Tzitzit are every day. The sukkah is once seven days a year. The lulav is one day a year. This seems to be total inconsistency here. Tzom is once a year. Prayer could be multiple times in a single day biblically. person has multiple needs. He could be biblically obligated to, 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 to ask Hashem for his needs multiple times or at least according to Rambam once a day. That's the 365 day a year thing, and this is a once a year thing. Why, why would he do once a year first and then every day afterwards? Then he goes to the Sukkah seven days. Lulavanesik is one day, biblically, unless you're in the base of Migdash. Rabbinically, out to the base of Migdash, seven days. What's the order over here? Tzitzitz is every day of the year. Then he went to Shemir Shabbat. That's once a week. Then he goes to the Moadim. That's the Moadim, you know, two, two sets of, of seven, set of seven, set of eight, set of, set of one. Like, look, what, what is this? And then he talks about sins, just avoiding sin. And then he throws in the Chovat halavavot. So, to understand this, we're going to take a look at the commentary that was written by the Paslechim. The Paslechim, when he, when he learned the Chavis halavavos, he learned the Sharabatachim, he goes into these details. He says, like, who, you know, he didn't just choose. This is, not, this, this is not just fluff. Everything here is concise, choreographed, everything has meaning here. So the Paslechem begins to explain like this. He says, So and Why is that the first things mentioned? So he suggests that's because these are mitzvahs, what he calls muskalot. They are consciousness mitzvahs. Interesting he puts it that way. I would think that not eating should be with all the other negative mitzvahs. No, he says it's not just like a negative mitzvah. There's also a positive mitzvah, which we know Yom Kippur actually has a negative and a positive. He says these are mitzvahs that were applicable and were observed even before the Torah was given. He said they're almost logical mitzvahs. Humanity inherently understood that by denying itself of worldly involvement, it could direct itself to a higher place that it was an act of penance and focus. It's inherent. He says, we see this with regard to the very first human. After he committed his sin, it says he fasted and he prayed. It's it's inherent. It's intuitive. Human beings understand this. This is very personal. Fasting and praying is a personal thing. It's a logical way for a person to enhance his connection with Hashem. There's a beautiful commentary Miguel at Esther. I don't remember if it's the Alkabatz or Rabbeinu Moshe Alshech. It was Masat the Moshe. I'd have to look. I don't remember. I don't remember who says this. But he asked the question. He says Esther Esther said they should fast for three days. Well, what is that? Fast for three days, and then she'll go to the king. So he says when a person fasts. Esther knew that it would weaken the body. and The person sins out of took for de gufa, out of strength of the body. But she knew that deep down, everybody really wants to be close to Hashem. And she said, when I break down the bodily reality, the resistance, the truth is going to come out. The truth is going to come out. And they'll do tshuva. She knew it had to happen. Which, by the way, fasting is not a good idea in these days. And a person shouldn't fast because we get irritable and frustrated, and there's 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 a lot of things to lose in it. But but there's a reason that for centuries on end this was a, a big thing for super pious people. There's a a beautiful teaching from the Rebbe about uh, Father Abraham Avraham Avinu would give wayfarers beautiful hospitality, and then after he would make uh, this. Uh, you know, exorbitant charges. And then, if the people would thank Hashem, then he wouldn't charge. So the question is, so he just forced them to say, thank you, God, that's all. What was the point? And the Rebbe's answer is that Avram Avinu indeed pressured the people because he made a pressure of a big bill, but the pressure was not to create something f- f- fraudulent or, or counterfeit. He knew that deep down everybody has an Ashana. He knew that there's a part of us that, like as a homing pigeon that's looking for God. And he knew that the body and its reality gets in the way. So Avraham Avinu didn't want to torture people, but he can give them a big bill. And in doing so, the truth came out. So this is kind of like, that's what the Paslacham says. These are the, the first mitzvahs that a person did, that a person understood. The very first thing that Adam understood was tzayimint That's why he says it goes first. And then he says, from there we go to the sukkah and to the Lulav and Eser. Why? He says he begins with the mitzvah of sukkah because the mitzvah of sukkah is one of the first mitzvahs that's mentioned and it's applicable in today's day and age. And he says that the sukkah is reminiscent of the anane hakavod of the clouds of glory. I'm going to comment on this soon, but I want to first, let me tell you what Lechem says and then I'll tell you what Mendel Kaplan says and I could be wrong, of course. He says the lulav and the tzitzit are also spoken of earlier in the Torah. And he says Shabbat and Moadim he says Shabbat is mentioned because also it's mentioned very early on in the Torah and the main and most important thing about the Shabbat is that you're not doing certain things. And then he says that the mitzvahs of tzitzit and Shabbat are considered equal to all the Torah. So why the festivals? He says, well, you talk about Shabbat, you throw the festivals in two. So I, I can not tell you that I found this fully satisfying. Like, okay, come on. like, like Why did he choose these mitzvahs? So I'm going to come back to this. I, I have a theory. Now, we go through this list of mitzvahs. And then he says... Vi chol chovat halavot a shalota varna elzulato, all of the other duties of the heart that don't transfer onto somebody else. To alotan their benefit or their damage, muchadbo, adam without anybody benefiting. Which 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 chovat halavot are we talking about? So, so he says, Himona says the Nezer B'Kodesh, avoiding doing the things that the Torah says not to do. It's called sur stay away from bed. Lota avorna, he says, ha'toalot will not go be over, be transferred el zeulato. And here the Paslechem says something great. Which duties of the heart are we talking about? So I thought, when I started learning this, it's talking about the duties of the heart that the book is talking about. Belief, love, fear. No, it says the Paslachem. Chovat halavavot means The duties of the heart that are attached to the duties of the limb. In other words, the intention of the mitzvah. The intentions here are not mitzvot of intention. The intentions here are the intentions that come along with the performance of a mitzvah. So it's not duties of the heart and limb separate. Exactly. It's not... I realize that the language he uses is not chovat halavot and... Chovat halavot the duties of the heart and limb. What are the duties of the heart and limb? These are the intention in a mitzvah. And here, the Dubna Magad's example doesn't even play into the matter because a person is drilling a seat, a, a hole under his own seat, that's a problem. So everybody has to do a mitzvah. But if everybody's doing the mitzvah, but some people are doing the mitzvah in a lackluster manner, with no intention, with no fervor, with no thought, with no meaning, the mitzvah is still done. Hmm. If I do a mitzvah, but I do it filled with fervor, filled with mindfulness, or not, who does it make a difference to? The difference is to Me. My difference. Because it's my lackluster mitzvah. Like the al Rebbe says in Tanya, that that love and, and respect for Hashem, all for Hashem are in the Zohar as the two wings with which the bird lifts off. He says, a mitzvah that has no fervor and passion doesn't go to a higher place. It stays right where you are. Who loses? I lose. Nobody else loses. The mitzvah was done. This is a, a brilliant concept. The Neder Bar Kodesh illustrates this in real time. He says, what does it mean, a benefit? The benefit of the mitzvah. You know, our sages tell us, mitzvot lav lehonot nitnu. mitzvot mitzvot were not given for benefit. What does, it, what does it mean? He says, I'll tell you what it means. I'll tell you what the twelfth to the mitzvah is. He says, when you do a mitzvah, beli shum not for a thank you, not for an accolade, not so people should honor and respect you. That's doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. But if you do the right thing for the right reason, you do it with no zeal, with no counterfeit intentions. And how often do we do the right thing? with well, for all the wrong reasons. By the way, it's still the right thing to do the right thing. But the right thing should be done for the right reason. It should be, it should be in a way which is pure. He says that mitzvah which is done with purity and innocence is omedet la'ad o'l'netzach l'olam haba. That is eternity. You are creating eternity with that. This is the tzedek l'fan of Yahalich. This is the righteousness that goes before a person. He says every mitzvah a person does creates an energy field. He calls it a malach, an angel. He says the malach which is pure. What does the malach look like? The malach looks like your intentions, not your actions. There's a beautiful commentary of the Khatam Sofer in his, in his sermons where he says that the angel said to Avraham Avinu after Avraham didn't bring Yitzchak as an offering he said, You didn't. You didn't. You didn't take my child away. You didn't take my... So the Hatam Sofer says, Mimeni? What is it? The, malachs, the malach is the father of Yitzchak? What does it even mean? He says an amazing thing. He says Avram Avinu was entirely sincere and he wanted to do the mitzvah. In fact, Rashi tells us when God said take Yitzchak down, Avram said, you don't want me to do something? Something? A little? Take a little blood? Hashem said, don't you dare touch him. Talk about highs and lows. So Rashi goes on and elaborates that he slaughtered the ram. And he said that this is, should be like it's my son. It should be like it's my son when he dismembered the ram. Why was he thinking that? The Rebbe explains in one of his sikhs because Avraham Avinu wanted to take the devotion and translate it into action. So the Malach said, says the Chassam Sefer, the Malach said, I know how holy and great and pure you are. I know for myself. The malach looked down at his proverbial abs, at his biceps. The malach said, look at me. You created a monster, so to speak. A a Hulk Hogan of of malachim. He says, you're telling me? You're telling me? I know how sincere you were. Look at the angel you created. Aha, says the nether b'kodesh. This is only you will benefit. Nobody else will benefit from that malach. It's your malach. This is an addition of light and energy to your neshama, which is but a piece of God. He says, Heaven forfend the opposite. There's a nezek, habom a mitzvah. There could be a damage that comes with a mitzvah when a person does a holy thing for an unholy purpose, where he is flattering somebody, and that's why he does a mitzvah where he does it in a counterfeit way, a selfish way, that he mixes his own interests into the service of Hashem. He does so, then Edab HaKodesh has very sharp words here. He says, in doing so, he transfers some of that energy to the sitra achra, the dark side. And he says, this is mamash alihim hacheidim. It's like worshipping another god, because you're worshipping yourself. You're not worshipping Hashem. You're doing what's good for you. You want it to look good for you. He says, and the kedusha is is restrained, and not only it's restrained, the holiness of the mitzvah is siphoned off for others. You don't get to benefit from it. And he says, it becomes like a lesion on the proverbial derma of your soul. It stains your soul. He says, it darkles the light of your neshama. Such a fake mitzvah. A mitzvah. Scary stuff, huh? Nobody else loses. You lose. So now when I saw this, I said, Aha. So this is the meaning of the mitzvahs. A person' idea of fasting is not about going hungry. It's about the fast should be meaningful. If a person fasts and it doesn't express his neshama, it doesn't close to Hashem, then it's a waste. That's why the Alter rebbe says in Tanya, please don't fast. And the rebbe says in his letters that we, we shouldn't, even try it these days. Because a fast, when other Marisham fasted, he was swearing off from materialism so he could redirect his neshama in a holy place. Tfila, of all the things we do, prayer is in the heart. It's a vayda Reb Chaim of Brisk once taught that according to the Ramam, if a person prays with no intention, it's not even a prayer. It's not a prayer with no intention, it's nothing, he says. It's nothing. He says it's actually, it's actually not a it's no mitzvah. The Shema is reading words. It's supposed to be Kabbalah, Salmach, or But if a person read the word, at least did the mitzvah. Here you're doing nothing, he says. What is the sukkah? The sukkah is the only mitzvah the Torah gives us. A consciousness, a thought, a meditation. so that Your generations are going to know. When you sit in the sukkah, you have to know that Hashem took care of the Jewish people. This is the essence of Betochen. As the Rebbeinu B'chaya II, Ben Usher, explains. The Lulav, the Rambam talks about the mitzvah of Lulav. He talks about serving Hashem with joy. That's where he puts in the business of serving. He doesn't put it in the He puts it in, in the laws of Lulav. Because taking the four kinds is supposed to make you realize that we're all beloved by Hashem and that's supposed to make a person serve Hashem with joy. Tzitzit, you're supposed to look and remember. Remember Hashem, remember the whole Torah shmirat shabbat if a person doesn't technically do work but his mind is on all his business he may not technically violate shabbat but the spirit of shabbat is totally disturbed who will know the difference who knows what you're thinking you know who loses you lose and ultimately the festivals enrich us but you have to experience the fes- festival and that comes through study and learning and so on and so forth so now we're understanding what he's talking about. So that choice, the choice to do a mitzvah right, nobody else will benefit or lose but you. We have to explain, he says, How does betachen fit into all this? I will explain. And here, Rabbeinu B'chaim, does something extraordinary. He, 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 he like raises his eyes heavenward, proverbially speaking, and he... he In the midst of his writing, he prays to Hashem for clarity because this is so fraught, this is so nuanced, it's so precise. It's like a a, a nanosecond of difference of what is called betochen that's appropriate and laudable and beautiful and what's betochen, which is misplaced. He says, I ask Hashem to please have mercy on me and show me the truth. It's the first time he used these words. He didn't even start with a prayer in the beginning. When it comes to this so highly nuanced thing, where on the surface betachem plays no role whatsoever, here the great Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, from Hashem I ask that He should give me the koyach, that I should know what's right, that I should do what's right. And this is just the, as they say, the introduction. This is just the introduction to the concept of performance versus trust, the idea of betochen, as it interacts with bechira, with the choice that we are given to do Hashem's mitzvahs properly. May Hashem give us the ability to understand the holy words of the and to be able to absorb and implement the holy ideas and the beautiful concepts so that we indeed should be we should serve Hashem properly. And as a result, we should merit to catalyze the Ga'ula, the redemption through Mashiach Zidkainu, Bimheira, Obi Ameno, Amen. Thank you all for joining. Have a beautiful night.